Chief Justice. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Our opinion next turns to the problem of what the judicial role should be. Yes, we like to say in the United States that we're in an adversarial system where the defendant has all these rights, including the right to a trial by jury. That's all a lot of baloney. This is Life of the Law. I'm Angela Caputo. It's obviously a man who's not represented, who hasn't had as good a shake in court as the man who is represented. Fifty years ago, the Supreme Court ruled that anyone facing criminal charges has a constitutional right to defense, even if they couldn't afford a lawyer. It is the duty of the state to appoint counsel. That ruling, called Gideon versus Wainwright, expanded the public defender system in the U.S. beyond just capital cases. How is that system holding up 50 years later? Let's check in at one of the nation's busiest court complexes in Chicago. Um, public defender Victor Erbring has worked in Cook County's main criminal courthouse for more than a decade but he still keeps a map of the place hung over his desk to make sure he doesn't get lost. The jail complex here, I think, is about four square blocks in size. It houses roughly 15,000 people, which is the size of a medium-sized American city. Um, and it's all filled with people who are charged with crimes or who are serving sentences of 364 days or less. Erbring's office represents most people jailed and convicted here. Over the past decade, that's nearly 220,000 people. Critics have called the courthouse and its surrounding jail compound a felony factory. On any given day, roughly 9,500 people sit in Cook County Jail. Most are in limbo, waiting for their cases to wind through the courts. One of the few breaks that they get from the jail is periodic walks through a maze of tunnels that connect the jails to the courthouse when their cases are called. At the start of the day here, I follow Erbring's partner, Peter Benish, to the place where they meet many of the new clients. We're walking into the lockup area right now, and you can kind of see how it's set up. The hallway, I don't know, it's over 100 feet, but it covers the area where you can hear What's going on back here? The, the lockup area is, imagine a, um, a steel barred cage that's about uh, 10 feet by 20 feet and then has uh, about a 10 foot high ceiling. And all of that is, is caged in, in, in iron bars. And you have usually two of these lockups next to each other on the floor that I'm on. And both of them are usually filled to capacity with people. And by capacity, I mean usually upwards of 40 or 50 people in each lockup. When you walk into the lockup, one of the first things you notice is the echo. The inmates here are chatty and excited, and their voices bounce off the concrete floors. They have nothing to do. So what do they do? They talk to each other. And when one person talks and then there's another person that's talking, all of a sudden, it's people shouting at each other. And you're trying to have a sophisticated, nuanced introduction and legal conversation about somebody's case with a noise that rivals that of a nightclub. Erbring's clients have usually been living here for weeks by the time he meets them. They've been through bond court, 
felony review and arraignment. Still, Erbring says he doesn't usually have much more than a file folder with an arrest report to go on when he meets many of them. And the most important thing in that folder, it's usually the offer. The offer is how much a client's sentence can be reduced if they plead guilty instead of arguing their innocence in a jury trial. And then if the prosecutor on arraignment writes down an offer, which often they do on cases that don't involve uh, serious violent offenses, the next thing that we tell them is, hey, the state made this offer. So now the, if you look at this from the client's perspective, we are giving them bad news, we're giving them more bad news, and then we're telling them you know, what would happen if they plead guilty. Typically, the next time Erbring sees his clients is in the courtroom, which is just down the hall from the lockup. Uh, 602 is one of those rooms that you may have seen in a movie. It's a, a big formal courtroom, uh, as opposed to these smaller rooms that we refer to as fishbowls. So we're in courtroom 602. Um, people are starting to move into the into the benches. Um, the public defenders are talking with the prosecutors at the front of the room, <clears throat> talking about the cases that are on call today. The court reporter has settled into his seat right at the foot of the, the judge's bench. There's a clerk that sits next to the judge and a bailiff who is the, um, who's really runs the, the courtroom. She is the, um, the person in charge when the judge is not here. Within 30 minutes, 12 defendants are called to the bench. Erbring or another public defender represents most of them. The hearings are short. Usually in less than three minutes, the clerk has stamped the case file, the judge set the next court date, and a deputy whisks the defendant back to the lockup. Uh, as this goes on month after month, that's Lack Bowman. He heads the Roderick MacArthur Justice Center, a legal clinic at Northwestern University. The, the jail is not an attractive place. It's not a pleasant place in which to be confined. Folks are separated from their lives, from their families, and uh, pressure builds to get out, to find some kind of resolution. Bowman says it's not just those behind bars who want the cases resolved. The public defenders have so many clients, they need to keep things moving. Here's former Cook County public defender Leonard Cavice. Well, the attorneys, of course, are hardened to the worst kinds of cases. And I remember this happening to me. I remember clients telling me, you know, the cops beat this confession out of me, you know. And it isn't that I had a ho-hum response, but I'd heard that many times before. You know, or, or when a, a person would say to me, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I want to go to trial. And my response would be fine. You want to go to trial, you can go to trial. But there's a terrible risk associated with going to trial. That's what we call the jury tax. You're going to get punished a whole lot more severely. So you have attorneys under pressure to close cases, plus ANSI clients. Cavice and others say this is why most cases never make it to trial. 
to him, the factory metaphor is pretty accurate. It's absolutely a mill. It's, it's, it's a conveyor belt that exists primarily at 26th Street in the city of Chicago. You can walk in there, and at any given time, you will see literally hundreds of black men being paraded off to the penitentiary for possession and sale of drugs. Public defenders don't write the laws. They're doing their best to find a workable outcome. And nearly 8 of 10 times, that outcome is a plea bargain. A plea bargain is when a defendant takes the offer I mentioned before. The bargain is that they plead guilty, and in exchange, their sentence is reduced. Nobody wants to spend the time going to trial. Less than 10% of defendants ever go to trial. They'll say, this is short-circuiting the system. They will plead guilty to crimes uh, that they didn't commit. Is it because the legal system is just bogged down? If everybody demanded a full trial, we'd never get through all of them. It would take years. Who'd work harder, they'd find a way to fight it at trial. And that's another flaw with the system, isn't it, Barry Shack? Of course, there's scrutiny on plea deals, but public defender Peter Benish says they're not always bad and insists that they don't necessarily point to weak lawyering. There are a lot of cases where I have put in every bit as much time on a plea as you would um, on a trial. What you're trying to do is get the best result for your client. And to that end, oftentimes the best result for your client is limiting their exposure. Lawyer groups, like the American Bar Association, have been critical of the caseloads that public defenders have to carry. They say it slights justice. In a perfect world, caseloads would be capped at 150. A handful of public defenders' offices across the country have taken a stand against the high caseloads. Some places responded by setting new caseload standards. In other places, courts simply force public defenders to continue taking cases. How do you convince taxpayers and legislators to properly fund an office like ours when most people believe that what we do is represent guilty people, criminals. The attorneys in 602 aren't exactly keeping score on how many cases they get. According to Cook County's recent records, each attorney working in a felony courtroom took an average of 236 cases a year. In the eyes of former public defender Leonard Cavis, Cook County's system is designed so that bureaucracy beats justice. Across the courtroom aisles, prosecutors, defenders, and judges all struggle under the same crushing load. They have to work so carefully together on plea bargains, they have to make a lot of deals with each other. I'll give you two years in this case, but I want you to give me in that other case, give me the four years that you promised me or that you said you would think about in another case. Yes, we like to say in the United States that we're in an adversarial system where the defendant has all these rights, including the right to a trial by jury or the right to a trial by the judge, and they have a right to be tried on the charge with which they're charged with, and and that if they decide to go to a jury trial, they're not going to be penalized for going to a jury trial. That's all a lot of baloney. exactly quick to defend the status quo, he says that public defenders in Cook County give their clients not just an adequate defense, but an exceptional one. Most public defenders are willing to go further in most cases uh, than other attorneys in trying to find some way for their client to get a better outcome. 
And again, that doesn't always mean finding that last witness who's going to you know, be the linchpin witness for them and find them not guilty, but it means digging deeper and finding out more information so that their client has better opportunities. I don't think anybody does that better uh, than, than public defenders. For Life of the Law, I'm Angela Caputo. The piece was co-produced and co-edited by Maria Zamudio. This episode of Life of the Law was produced by Julia Barton, Shannon Heffernan, Nancy Mullane, and Caitlin Prest, with music from Kyle Kaplan and production support from Sophia Merchant. Our web editor is Mary Atkins. Financial support comes from Open Society Foundation, with special thanks to Thomas Hilbink. For more on this story and other stories about the law and the legal system, visit our website, lifeofthelaw.org. Hi, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair. And we are the Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans. <laughs> uh, think of us as your guide to the hyphen America world we live in. Are you first generation Korean American, married to a Colombian Mexican American, and making beige babies? Us too. Or do you speak three languages and eat Salvadoran pupusas at Shabbat? Is Spanglish your best language? That's me. <laughs> uh, Spanglish is definitely your best language. Yeah, it was kind of a problem in graduate school. <laughs> eh, don't worry about it. We're, we're done with that. So we've got a new show here on the awesome Infinite Guest Network. You can go search for Mashup Americans in your favorite podcast app and check it out. We've got a great story about the mashup life of Donald Trump. Oh, and I just went to Margaret Cho's house to Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> oh, my God. Vamos, let's do this. As we like to say, get to know yourself, America.